When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Bob Left Sets Podcast. My guest today is concert promoter Louis Messina. Louis, is it ever Louis? Um, no, it's never. Yeah, it's really funny because when I introduce myself, I go, hi, I'm Louis Messina, but you can call me Louie, but don't call me Lou. Okay. So what differences have you noticed, if any, in the concert promotion business post-COVID as opposed to pre-COVID? Um, the difference is, is that um, the abundance of acts that are on the road, it's just you know, that is the biggest difference. There's just so many shows going on at the same time, even though everything has been so, so successful. I'm really concerned that one day and maybe soon that people are going to say, I, I have no more money. I've been to too many shows. I can't go to 15 shows like I did because I, I've, I've seen everybody or I've, I've been at home and COVID's over. I don't know. I'm, I'm just looking forward to this upcoming year. And and I don't know if, I mean, that's the big difference. There's a lot of big difference. The country is different today than it was pre-COVID, in my opinion. The political landscape is crazy. It's insane. And, and people, I think, are getting over the COVID blues. Okay, so how hard is it to get a building and how far in advance do you have to book a tour? Well, the good thing, the way I operate, I, I'm way, I'm way in, in advance. I know what artists are doing two years from now because it's not like I'm, you know, uh, I, 
I, I call myself a career promoter, not a not a tour promoter, because it's about not only what we're doing this tour, but what what we're doing two, three tours from now. And so I'm already booking in 26 and 27 right now because I know what I mean. Everything's always subject to change, of course, but I know what most of my artists are doing in years to come. Unlike you know. When I get a phone call, I'll go, hey, we're looking for you know an offer, and we're going to start in January. That's not how how we do business. Okay, uh, recently, relative to you, you picked up the Lumineers. You're big on career development, taking artists into the stratosphere. The Lumineers did play a stadium in Chicago. What did you see in the Lumineers that you wanted to work with them? Uh, musically, uh, I. I just love their music, and and uh, when I first got involved with them, they were they were sort of like kind of you know just a hipster band sort of, and they had a very select audience, I believe, you know, and then all of a sudden they just developed into superstars. I mean, Wes has become like I mean he is a superstar. Um, and, and the band is, is, has changed. They've got a couple of new members and it's, in my opinion, it's, I just saw, I just saw magic in them. That that's, that's all I guess. I, I, I heard magic in their music and I saw the way that they connected with their audience, just like everybody. That's what I'm always looking for. The connection between the artists and audience. And they have that connection and they are growing by the day. Okay. In the old days, everything was driven by the record company and radio. That's not necessarily the case these days. So with a band like the Lumineers, what can the promoter do to grow the audience for the band? Wow. What can we do is almost like, well, we do everything because we like to look at ourselves as a, as a, a connection to the artist the manager, the label, where we're just not, we just don't want to be the promoter. We want to be the artist partner. So we're involved in all of their decisions with them, with the record company. So we're all on the same page and we all have goals. And, and I think that is where, how you see something and then you take gambles, you know, like we, we played two stadiums last tour. We played Denver and Chicago, and and I committed that we're going to play eight to ten uh, on you know on the next tour because I just feel it. Um, but I think that that is it. Is just that we just don't put shows on sale. We're actually we're going deeper than that with the artists and their entire organization, not just us selling tickets. It's selling. It's selling them and selling their career and selling their brand. And that's what we're trying to do. Oh, well, someone like the Lumineers who are way on their way up, can you go a little deeper what you might do to grow, to get people into the building? Well, uh, first of all, we play the right buildings. And unlike a lot of artists that take, you know, take these tour deals, if if we're only supposed to do 35 shows, that's all the shows we do, not 50 or 60. And we pick our markets and we know where 
our growth is uh, because, you know, I, I'm a big believer in historicals. And so if I saw where they did X amount of people that time, I'm always trying to grow, help the artists grow 25, 35% each tour because there's enough people to fill every arena and every stadium in the country that listens to their music. So now, you know, the fans, they're, they're hardcore fans. They just got to hear one message, one thing from the Lumineers. But now I, I, I've got to convince along with the band. But my job is to convince people that should I go see the Lumineers? Should I go see this band or that band? I've got to create this imaginary world about going to see the Lumineers and, and how wonderful it's going to be. And so that is kind of my job as far as, you know, throwing them throwing magic dust uh, uh, on the whole on the whole program and if that makes any sense um but that's what i do i do i just throw magic dust on it okay well there's magic dust once the show plays and magic dust to uh get people in the building so if you're playing a stadium that's somewhere between 35 and 60,000 seats mm -hmm. you're gonna have a certain number of people who are gonna say i have to see this is my favorite band how do you convince the rest of the people? What's the magic dust you might employ to get the rest of the people to come? Well, you know, through messaging, if it's, you know, and it's through repetition of your message and, 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 and talking to people, not talking at people, that's hard really to explain. It's like when you see a commercial on television, you all of a sudden, oh, wow, that's a cool commercial. And then you want to dig a little deeper. So, if I can create this fantasy uh, or that the Lumineers is a must-see show by through repetition of my messaging and through different messaging, um, getting fans talking to each other, because that's the key thing. Because, you know, I grew up in a world where, you know, the best form of advertising is word of mouth. And so if I can get fans start talking to other fans. That's the key thing is to get the chatter going. And so we just, you know, if people aren't, if, if the fish aren't biting on this side of the boat, we have to start fishing on the other side of the boat. So our messaging has to continue. And we have to, we have to continue looking for the people that we can convince to go see a band like the Lumineers or whomever, you know, George Strait, uh, whoever I work for. Okay. The old days you know, Texas Jam Days, whatever, you just advertise on the rock yeah. stations. Yeah. How do you reach these people today? Well, I mean, now it's all, I mean, the majority of our advertising is, is, is social media. I mean, we're still buying, you know, regular radio and hardly zero newspaper ads, but uh, most of our advertising is, is, you know, online advertising and we have, you know, we'll, 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 we'll partner with, you know, we'll partner with AOL or Google or, or we'll, we'll partner with different entities. And so not only are we reaching out just to artist fans, but we're, we keep on expanding the number of people we, we reach out to if it's through the the the, the buildings um email list if it's through the ticketing company if it's through the fan clubs we just keep on growing and growing and growing um the people that we are uh who we're trying to reach 
we, you know, <laughs> Scott Swift always tells me, you know, there's so many billions of people that live in the world. If we only get 1% of it, it means we can sell out everywhere. So that's all we're trying to do is get 1% of the population. And that shouldn't be a tough thing to do. Let's talk about Taylor Swift. You know, she wrapped up her U.S. tour a few months ago. If you could snap your fingers and do anything different, what might you do different? Clone her. Um, I, there's nothing I would do different. I mean, you know, it, it, it was so big. As I was talking to you in Aspen about there was such a demand. We knew it was going to be big. And... And we said it, that's why we only set one city a week. So we, we knew there was going to be multiples. But, you know, if I would have known, I mean, unfortunately, there was 10 times. I mean, there was millions and millions of people trying to get tickets. If, if you know, we're trying to get 150,000 tickets and 2 million people registered. If we would have staggered, because our new approach is slow and easy. And rather than like going out and at one time, I think that's the only thing we might have done different, but it's been pit picture perfect. I mean, the whole time, I mean, uh, the fans are loving it. She's having the best time of her life. Uh, her shows are incredible. Her fans are incredible. And, you know, she's ready to start in a couple of weeks in, 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 in Asia. And then, you know, it's off around the world. This, this year i mean she, she's working all the way through december and what is your involvement in the foreign dates uh we're we're overseas we're involved with taylor worldwide um uh, we have local partners um uh around the around the world but we're involved with her worldwide okay so let's delve into the ticketing let's delve in at the most basic level the fees. What is your viewpoint on the fees? They're ridiculous. Um, um, and I, I don't know how they got that high. Um, and I, I think it's sad that ticketing is uh, the cost uh, of service charges. Shit, they're like, you know, a third of the cost of the tickets, which is ridiculous. And, but there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, I, I need to have a ticketing system. So if it's Ticketmaster or Axis or, you know, any of these, you know, Seat Geeks, their fees are ridiculous. But there's so many, you know, so many people with their hands in the pot. That's why, you know, I mean, you got the ticketing company, you got the building, you got the promoter, you know, all, you know, having their fingers in the pot. So... With all these incredibly successful acts, to what degree can you as the promoter negotiate the fees to your advantage? It's very difficult because um, unless it's a very inexpensive ticket, if I'm trying to sell a $20 ticket, um, then I will go to a ticketing company and say, can we limit the fees at this? But when you're talking about uh, higher up prices, there's little to no control or say that I have. Uh, because it's what it is. Um, it's very difficult to negotiate their fees down. Okay. The two big ticketing companies in the U.S., you mentioned Axis and Live Nation, uh, Ticketmaster, which is owned by Live Nation, part of Live Nation. 
Now, you have these super-scaled shows, but a lot of people, where the shows are playing in smaller building or they're not instantly going clean, they get an advertising bump from Ticketmaster. They feel being on Ticketmaster raises awareness. Is that something you've experienced relative to using other ticketing companies? Well, Ticketmaster is the most established company. Um, uh, but Access is, 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 is gaining ground big time. Uh, Ticketmaster, just because they're part of Live Nation and, you know, they've signed all these, you know, con- building contracts and they were way ahead of the game. But uh, I think people, when they think of ticketing, Ticketmaster comes to mind right away. Um, so the advantage is people are familiar with it. Even if it's not on Ticketmaster, people go to the Ticketmaster site, um, and, or, or go to an automatic broker, uh, site, you know, they'll go, they think they're going through access or Ticketmaster and they wind up on a SeatGeek site. Um, and you know, unfortunately people are, especially a popular show, people are so anxious to get tickets. They're not even knowing where they're buying them from. But being on Ticketmaster, you know, they're the most established. That's all I can say. It's not like, oh, I'm going to sell 15% more tickets because I'm on Ticketmaster. You know, if if I have, you know, a hot act, I could sell it out of my trunk of my car, but people will find where the tickets are. But I think Ticketmaster is the most established. I'm going to just leave it at that. They're the most established. But we do need to have other ticketing platforms out there. Okay. In other countries, you can buy the tickets from multiple outlets. Do you think that's a superior system? Um, my experience is not, it's not a superior system. I mean, uh, like in London and then, and, and, and at Wembley stadium, you know, the stadium is divided in half where Ticketmaster gets half the tickets and Access gets half the tickets. That works really well. But in a lot of, like when we were down in South America, I mean, the ticketing was really kind of funky because, I mean, we had, uh, you know, a lot of times the promoters control the ticketing. They have their own systems. And so it's not as organized. When you leave North America, it's a different world out there. It really is. Um, and it's not as, you know, it's, it's not as, as current as American ticketing. Uh, it, it's just a lot of work and a lot of detail uh, to, to, to go into countries outside of North America and get the service that we normally have here. How do you make sure you're not ripped off in these countries? Well, you, um, you have to pay close attention and, and I guarantee you we're getting ripped off, you know, and I don't think as much as it used to be because when I first started doing international shows, um, I always felt like all the international promoters were in collusion with each other because the, the rent, the, you know, the building rents were always the same. All the cost was always the same. And honestly, I just said, this is BS. If you want my act, then I want, I will, you know, we're not going to do it your way. We're going to, we're going to Louis this thing. And, and we're going to, we, you know, I need to know where I need to know what's behind the curtain. 
So, um, I mean, if you don't want the act, I don't need you, man, you know? And, and so when you have the power of someone, you know, as strong as someone like Taylor, you get to, you get to look behind the curtain. Okay. In some of these countries, the economics only work through sponsorships because the public can only afford so much for tickets. Is that a factor with Taylor Swift? Not really. She wanted to do, you know, Taylor's never done a world tour and she wanted to do a world tour. And uh, when sponsorships come in, they come in, but it, it wasn't the driving point of she had to have a sponsor to go tour. Um, you know, the, if we have sponsors, it's, it, I'm from New Orleans, it's called Lanyap, you know, it's a little something extra. And so it's not that we, it was mandatory that we had to go seek sponsors in in other countries, but we did because she's such you know she's the biggest star and not only in the world but one of the biggest stars in the history of music. So um, so everybody wants to be associated with her. So how do you decide where to play? Well, you look for the. Um, well, we knew this is a stadium tour, so no, no, um, no, no I'm talking international. So let's assume you want to go to South America. Economically, do you say I have to do a certain number of dates just to make the numbers work? Where do you decide what cities, what countries, how many shows? Well, um, that came from, uh, you know, like we went down to South America. We, we only played three markets and besides Mexico City. And that's all she wanted to play um, where she didn't want to do a tour of South America. and. And then around the world, she just wanted to hit every country. Um, uh, you know, originally, like Canada uh, wasn't even available when we routed this tour. But then she she got so many requests from her fans then that we added the Toronto uh, and then we added the Vancouver because fan demand. And she's trying to reach her all her audience. Um, and so. so that's what I'm saying. We're playing Italy, we're playing France, where she's never played stadiums in these markets before. She's never played arenas in those markets before. Um, I mean, she's done the UK, but uh, but now she's you know she's hit hitting almost every every country in Europe and and you know then in the East. I mean, she's only doing uh, Japan, um, Thailand, and Australia. So that's the only markets that she's doing, you know, out west. Um, and but we're we're doing like I think it's like ninety shows um, this year in around the world, and we come back in North America. We added three shows, and we added we added Miami, Indianapolis, and New Orleans, and Toronto and Vancouver at the end of the tour. Okay, we know that all these shows are going to sell out. They already sold out. <laughs> You're right. You, when you get on the plane, it's day one, and you know you have 89 more days to go. Does she ever get fatigued, or does she ever say, this is as many as I want to play? She, she is Iron Woman. I mean, she is. she comes off stage with so much energy. And so she's so happy. Um, she's having the best time of her life. And I can't speak 
we just the few times that I've I've spoken to her. I mean, she's off coming off stage, and she is she's still she's just happy as can be, and she's I mean, she's singing three hours and twenty minutes every night. Sometimes doing three, four, five in a row. She's I, I told her she's bionic. And she really is. I've never seen any, anyone like her in my in my whole career. So what makes her different as a person from the other superstars you work with? Man, she... Um, Taylor's a one of a kind. I mean, I've known her for 17 years, and she's always been that special person. She's always outworked, outthought, you know, out hustled out everything to anybody and she always knew where she wanted to be I, I, even be i mean when, when she first started i mean she always told me when i remember before the first tour she goes i re, you know when they hired me as as their promoter she goes this is how i want my shows to be you know I, she already had in their head how she wanted it to be and um you know, I want all my my songs to be a theatrical presentation, and and just she knew what kind of effects she wanted back then. You know, way in the early days when there was not a whole bunch of money involved, um, but she knew she knew who she, she is, and she's so driven, and she always, I don't know, she's she's able to to capture what's in her head and get it on stage she's amazing i mean like i said i'm honored to be a part of of her world and um you know i wish i can take some credit but man it's all her snag a job is where america goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over six million active hourly workers Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, 
It's got standard third row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So in terms of ticket prices, there are expensive tickets. How do you decide what the price should be? Uh, I let people decide, you know, and, um, and th- that's why dynamic pricing comes in. No different than the airlines and, and, and hotels. Um, if someone was to pay, we start out at, at a certain amount. And if the d- demand is there, but like with Taylor and Ed Sheeran and, and they'll, they'll cap us where we could, they also go, this is the most you can sell a ticket for with dynamic pricing. Some artists, this you know the sky's the limit and other parts where people <laughs> mistaken ticket pricing is that say ticket prices that we're selling are 450 dollars, but on the secondary market they're five thousand dollars and that's what people are thinking taylor's selling tickets for or george Strait selling tickets for and it's not the case but that's where dynamic pricing in my opinion is, is really great because it narrows the uh, the profit margin of the secondary markets and b the artist actually now participates um in ticket sales as far as the grosses uh, the full gross and and not just their you know (laughs) a third of what the secondary markets are are selling tickets for you know, as Bruce said, you know, why should they make the markets when these everybody's on stage is the one that's putting the work in? So once again, if you could snap your fingers, how would you beat the brokers? What, what we're doing as much as we can do as far as dynamic pricing, that, that's the only way to do it. Limit tickets for four to six per transaction. Uh, it's just tough, man. The only way you're going to limit it, if, if the government jumps in and there's national regulations on, 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 on resale tickets, it's too big of a business for, for a promoter or an act just to, 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 to fight, no matter how hard you try. I mean, you know, look at Garth Brooks. He keeps on adding shows. But his tickets are on the secondary markets. You know, everybody's tickets are. And we've tried. I, I've, I've been fighting ticketing scalping my whole career and i don't know what to do about it i mean the only way i know how to do it how it benefits us is through dynamic pricing okay so you have these acts that go clean everywhere what kind of deal does your company make with them (laughs) i make a deal that's fair for the act and fair for me Uh, that um you know Every act is different. Um, I, my, you know, as you know, my model is a lot different than AEG's model or Live Nation's model. I work with a dozen acts. And so my deal with them is my deal with them. And, you know, I'm not out there uh, in the rent-a-band business. You know, that's how I call it, you know, where I'm just not writing these goofball checks and 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 making up this um <laughs> these crazy deals where people think they're getting free money uh i just make the most money for my artists that's what i do 
that's how my deals are different because I'm honest with my artists. Um, if there's a dollar on the ground, they get their piece. Um, there's, there's total transparency the way I do business. Have you ever scalped tickets as a promoter? Never. Not one time. Okay. So you, you don't believe me. I see that grin on your face. <laughs> I know so many stories with people with blue chip reputations and they have scalp tickets and they have done other things. I can't sit here and say you've done it. I'm just saying that, hey, that's something that comes up with everybody or they won't no talk shit. about it publicly. And I, I could have, you know, I mean, I just like the axe, we left a lot of money on the table. But man, I wouldn't be who I am today if if I would have played that game. I just wouldn't have. Simple as that. Okay, you're done with SFX. You go <laughs> into business with George Strait. You had so much history in the rock business. What did you learn that was different about the country business? <laughs> uh, nothing really different. Um, it's more lol. That's for damn sure. You know, I mean, you know, I've been with George for 30 years and it's, there's loyalty there, uh, where <laughs> there's less, okay, this is going to get me in trouble. There's less agents, there's less people involved. You know, you're dealing almost one-on-one -on -one with the artists, you know, like if I'm dealing with George, I'm dealing with George and, you know, or Irv Woolsey, his manager, you know, or. If I'm dealing with Kenny Chesney, I'm dealing with Clinton Heim and Kenny, you know, um, the manager and, and, you know, with Blake Shelton, I'm dealing directly with Novel and Blake, you know, actually with Novel and, you know, but there's a direct connection. It's not like I, I got to go to the local, you know, through the regional agent that goes to the responsible agent that goes to the manager, you know, where uh, that's a goofball game. Uh, so that is a difference between, uh, in my opinion, country. But even though uh, it's the relationship I have, it's like with the Lumineers. I, I, I Joel Tamian, I he's the agent. Do business with him. Do business with you know activists. they the management company, and I get quick answers. It's like because going back to what I'm saying, I'm trying to be partners with the act, not just trying to be the the guy that 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 bought them for a tour or two you know i i didn't buy them i'm partners with them so when you get involved with george what's the status of his business when you mean status how many tickets could he sell well i mean we have packaged him with chris stapleton and we are we're selling out every stadium that we play no no i'm asking something when 30 years ago when you first got involved with george well, George, as long as I've been involved with George, when I first got involved with George, we went, to, I mean, besides a couple of amphitheaters that he played for me and, and early, early on when I was promoting him in theaters right after he got out of the honky tonk. But how I really got involved with George is creating the George Drake Country Music Festival. It started out as a one day stadium show in san antonio that led to an annual 18 concerts a year throughout the united states in stadiums george was the first country stadium act ever to do a stadium tour tell me about that first gig in san antonio well it was george as i remember george leanne rhymes i mean we had a whole bunch of people 
I don't even remember who was on the show, but it was a bunch. <laughs> um, and we sold out the Alamo Dome, and George had such a good time. And the Eagles, let's do it again. I, I, then I think the second year I added Dallas and Glen Helen, the amphitheater that we had back then because it was so big. And then finally, after the Glen Helen show, I, I don't know if he, George and I, uh, went to play golf uh, with Howard Rose and a friend of his. Um, and I had a proposal for George. And I said, what do you think? He goes, how many shows should we th we do? And I go, I don't know, 20, 30? He goes, how's about we start with five or 10? I go, anyway, we settled on 18. But that's how it started. I, I believed in it. And, and I, you know, the first year I had Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, Dixie Chicks, you know, I, I had, you know, I had the who's who of country um, every year. I mean, that's where I met, you know, Tim, Faye, Chesney, the chicks. Uh, that's where I met so many people on those George Strait country music festivals. Okay. When the first one happened, were you working with Pace? Who were you working with when you started in San Antonio? I was Pace. I, I um you know, we we owned most of the amphitheaters, and then I started base touring. I was always in I was always in touring one way or the other. Um, I mean, back in the day when Bruce Cap worked for me, um, we promoted you know like New Edition, uh, <laughs> the only NWA tour, and uh, we did a lot of touring. But then. Uh, I hired John Meglin and I started pace touring. It, the first two tours that we did was the George Strait Country Music Festival and Ozfest. So that's how we started with pace touring. So what was your experience with Sharon? Loved it. I love Sharon. I love Sharon. I love Ozzy. I mean, it was the most fun I've had. I mean, I, I, I just adore them. Um, and, Working with her was so much fun, and working with Ozzy was so much fun. I mean, it was, I, I, I never stopped laughing. Okay, Sharon's tough. They had the Osbournes on MTV. She intentionally didn't sign the contract such that when the show was renewed, she held them up for a lot of money. Needless to say, her father had a uh, colorful career. What was it like being in business with her, being on the other side of the fence? And did you learn anything from her in addition? Uh, what you learn is not to get on the other side of her, you know, to get on the <laughs> dark side of her. That's the one thing, you know. Uh, but I, I never had a problem with Sharon. Never, ever. You know, I mean, we were just dear friends with each other. Um, she was so lovely. Um, just... As nice as nice can be, but I've seen the other side of her when she, you know, when she got pissed off at people, it, it, like I said, you don't, you don't want a blue box from her. You don't want a Tiffany box from her. How good a golfer are you? Uh, I stopped playing. <laughs> I, I was never that good. Um, but I've had a couple of back surgeries and a couple of knee surgeries. Now I'm kind of afraid to play um, because I don't want another back surgery or knee surgery. Uh, but the, 
I mean, I was, I was a hacker. I mean, I was a 15 to 18 handicapper. And I think the best I ever got was maybe a 12. Actually, the last round of golf I played, real round of golf I played, was with Robert Allen, who works with Taylor, and Rob Light and John Meglin at Augusta for two days. So, and that was a long time ago. So, to what degree have you benefited business-wise playing golf? Well, it's really difficult because most of the time, even though I might have been playing with people, most of the time I was in the woods, so I didn't really have a <laughs> chance to talk to talk to a lot of people. <laughs> and so, I was always looking for my ball. No, it was fun. You know, golf's a good community. You know, I mean, you know, you you, know, you spend four hours with some people and. I, I, the you know when Rob Light and um, Mitch Slater, not Mitch Slater, uh, Mitch Rose, Mitch Rose had their annual golf tournament at uh, Pebble Beach. That was nothing but fun. I mean, I look forward to it every year. So that was fun. And the John Barrick, you know, the thing, his golf tournament was always nothing but fun. Okay, so you mentioned Howard Rose. You mentioned Rob Light. What makes a good agent? Um, uh, a smart agent, one that's detailed like Howard Rose, like, you know, he is, you know, Howard was always so detailed. It wasn't about, you know, him, same thing. Howard's model was almost like he, you know, he had a dozen acts the height of his career or 15 acts. And unlike, you know, one of the big agencies where they, you know, I mean, they kind of are involved, but they, they're not involved. I mean, not when you have, you know, and your roster's 3,000 acts. How can you be involved? You're not. But Howard, you know, he had Elton, he had Buffett, he had Chicago, he had, you know, he had his niche fans, and that was it. And it was always one at a time shop. I mean, one, on a, one act at a time, very similar to the way I'm doing business. Dennis offers the same way. He's so detailed, uh, you know, he's involved in everything. If it's marketing, if it's ticketing, if it's you name it. And, uh, and just like most promoters, though, uh, same thing. The promoters that have all these, you know, as I call them, turn the page promoters because they don't have no idea when a marketing person has, you know, that that's in Ames, Iowa, has 30 shows to market at all at the same time. They're doing a shitty job. They're just turning the page to get to the next one. And, and that, that is, I've, I've done that business. I've done that. Uh, that was my world for a long time, but that is not a good world. I know if I was an act, I would not have an agent or a promoter that wasn't concentrating on me. Okay. So you work with George Strait. Who was the next act after George Strait? Well, the five I left with. Was George Strait? I had a, t uh, I I wound up having a, a, a non compete, a two year non compete, but I was able to call about George, the Chicks, Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, and Kenny Chesney. So that's who I had for the next two years. The Chicks were on fire; they were selling out everywhere. T I did the first Soul to Soul um, tour with Tim and Faith, and that's when Kenny was blasting off you know he just became a headliner so those are the five acts that i started with and then when my non-compete was over 
And I started calling agents again, and they were telling me, well, you can match, you know, uh, clear channels um, offer or match Bob Ruse offer. I go, what do you mean match Bob Ruse offer? I trained him. I taught him, you know, and he worked for me as a cl fucking club buyer. Sorry, I need to say. Um, so now I got to match his offer. I played this band when they were opening, opening in a club. And so that's when I realized, uh, I, I, I said to myself, screw this business. I only want to work with acts that want to work with me. I'm going back to the personal relationship business. That's how I changed my whole thing when I started uh, Messina Touring. So tell me how you built Kenny Chesney. Well, I believe in Kenny because I saw him on George Strait and I saw the merchandise numbers. I, I know that. He was second or third from the bottom. We had like a seven act show and people were 85% of the stadium was full when he went on every night and he was out selling everybody else, but George Strait and merchandise. And we just chipped away with Kenny. I had him on George Strait for two years. And then I had him on the Tim McGraw uh, uh, amphitheater tour. And then we started headlining and we played everywhere I mean, if it was a 4,000-seater, 5,000-seater, 10,000-seater, we just kept on building it and building it and building it. And then we took the, the shot. We played them at Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, and we did the, like almost 70,000 people. And everybody, you know, because back then, I couldn't even get anybody to open for Kenny. You know, what do you mean? You know, he's a wannabe. Everybody, you know, just no one believed in Kenny Chesney. The only people who believed in Kenny Chesney was Kenny Chesney, Clint Heim, um, uh, Joe Galante, and myself. There was very few people that had belief in him, but his fans loved him. And here we are now, this summer will be 25 years with Kenny. And he just gives it all, man. And, you know, if you ever been to his show, he, he, he's a hard worker, just like Taylor. His work ethic is unbelievable. You know, he, he's involved. If he doesn't talk to me, he's talking to Kate McMahon, Rome McMahon. He's talking, he's calling them direct about uh, what about this idea? What about that idea? What about so-and-so for support? You know, he is involved. Um, the other day, I mean, we got this ridiculous offer for somebody and he called me up. He says, what do you think? I go, well, you want the truth or you want to lie? And he goes, I want the truth. I go, well, I wouldn't do it. I go, we can always make money, Kenny. But this is, if we do this show and it underperforms, which I think it will because of the city, uh, you're going you're gonna to be bitching at me the whole summer. And we've got an unbelievable summer coming up. We always end in Foxborough. We're doing three stadium, three shows in Foxborough this year at Gillette Stadium. And they're completely sold out. I go, and if we add another show, you're going to hate it. Because it's outside of your norm, which you normally do, your routine. And all you're going to think about is all year is, why did I book this show? And he goes, fuck it, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and he didn't do it, you know. A little bit more specific, what was wrong with the show? It was a, it was a B market for a lot of money. And I, I didn't think, I thought it would, wouldn't do well. Because... Um, the market was not that great of a market to begin with. And, um, and I, I thought, I thought the show would be good for 35,000 tickets. 
okay, Kenny, even at this late date, does not play only stadiums. He'll mix up the stadium with other places. What's the logic there? He, well, there's a lot of places that, A, don't have stadiums. B, uh, you know, like during this off cycle, we always go back to the secondary markets and play, you know, this last year, back where I come from, we played all secondary markets arenas. And then we just normally mix up amphitheaters and stadiums during the summertime when it's a stadium run where we'll play a stadium on Saturday and play an amphitheater on, on a Wednesday because, you know, there's no stadium in Raleigh. There's no stadium um, in Little Rock or, or uh or Phoenix that we should go play. I mean, the amphitheater is the better play um, for Kenny, you know, and and that's just it. And there's only so many, you know, I don't think with Kenny we can play a Wednesday night in a stadium where we need to be on a Friday, Saturday night. And there's only so many Fridays and Saturdays each week, you know. So, we, you know, we, we do 22 stadiums and about, 15 amphitheaters every year. I'm not every year, every other year, because he's in an every other year cycle when it comes to stadiums. How do you decide on an every other year cycle? Well, don't wear out your welcome, you know? I mean, if you, you know, if you, if you, you know, don't see him this year, tickets will go on sale for next year in about two months, you know, after the show. So that's it. So we're, tr you know, we're trying to keep the markets fresh for him. So we don't just burn out the markets. I mean, like a lot, that's, that's the unfortunate thing. Well, a lot of country acts, you know, it's just, you look at that lineup. It's this, it's the same rethread shows every year, every year, every year. And sooner or later, these acts just burn out, you know, it's just like, they just become, <laughs> they can become B level acts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. 
the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, so you play the stadium in Knoxville. When you start playing more stadiums, Taylor's out totally alone, okay? How did you build those shows to sell them? And now when Kenny doesn't even need the opening acts, how do you build this show? We try to find someone that, that compliments Kenny and his audience. It, it, you know, uh, it, it came from my Texas Jam days of giving people value for their money. Same thing when George Strait Country Music Festival or George and Chris Stapleton giving them value for their money. Where this year is is Kenny, Zach Brown, Megan Maroney, and Uncle Cracker. We're giving people value for their money. You know, two headliners, and so that's Kenny's shows are more or bigger than Kenny himself because he's turned them into events, and and, and it's sort of an annual thing that people. It's kind of like Coachella. People are going to Coachella because they're going to Coachella because it's fun. You know, it's, a, it's an event. Kenny shows are events, even if it, when they play the amphitheaters. You know, it's kind of like Buffett had it. You know, people look forward. That was their one-day vacation every year. You know, their in-town in vacation. And that's how Kenny is. You know, like, we go to New York. I mean, he sold he, at MetLife Stadium. He's the number one selling artist in the history of MetLife Stadium. I think he's number three in overall the old Giants stadium and MetLife behind uh, Springsteen and the dead, I believe. That's in New York City or Jer Jersey. That's amazing. Same thing in Philly, Pittsburgh, all these markets that he's built, Tampa. I mean, he's just built built this this brand, you know. No Shoes Nation is is real. So other than Taylor, who can sell as many tickets as Kenny? George. Um, uh, Ed Sheeran, uh, uh who, who else do I have up there? Um, Eric Church is going to be there. Uh, the Lumineers are going to be there. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, they all have their own, you know, like no one's going to be as big as Taylor ever. No one's going to be big as Taylor. She, and believe it or not, she hasn't even got to where she's gone. I always tell her, I tell her that every year. She hasn't even got to where she's gone yet. This, this, she's amazing. I adore her. George, you know, he's in this 35th year of touring and still on top of the world. I mean, he, he doesn't tour. He, seven shows a year, eight shows a year. So he doesn't tour. Um, people said he retired. And he, he goes, I never, he, he never said he retired. He retired from doing an organized tour. But he says, I'm always going to do sh shows, special shows. And, you know, we do seven, eight, nine shows a year. How did the Stapleton-George Strait thing come together? Well, George has respect for Chris. Chris has respect for George. And, you know, um, it was magical. I mean, Chris opening for George because 
He loves it. They do great business together. And probably that's the only act Chris would ever open for. Uh, but it's out of respect and they're magical together. But you're not the promoter for Chris, correct? No, I'm not. Yet. Yeah, as I say, a matter of time. Okay, you, you walk with these five acts. Now the non-compete is over. Who's the next act? Well, the act I took on uh, on tour was Nickelback. And I did like um, one one tour, but it was like five cycles of, of that one tour. And we sold out everywhere. I mean, uh, we sold out everywhere, every every arena in, across the country. And then, you know, uh, and then they got the, the goofball offer from, uh, I think it was, it might have been still Clear Channel back then. And, or it might have been Live Nation, not sure. And I, I remember uh, when I was with their manager and I was with my wiki and, um, and Randy Phillips, and they told us the, the number that they were getting, which was more than the, the band was actually grossing. And like wiki and Randy goes, oh, we have to have it. We'll match the off. I go, no, we're not. I go, not a shot. There's I go, we didn't even gross that. And you want to match the offer? What are you insane? And so anyway, um, that was another case where actually there's a resurgence Nickelback now, but they just ran that act in the ground, you know, because same thing, they had to play X amount of shows, you know, they had to work off their debt and that's not how to build a career. How did you end up going in business with AEG? Well, um, I knew I needed, um, I had a good run with Pace. I mean, I started Pace concerts with Alan. And like I told you earlier, Meglin worked for me at Pace Touring. Then he left because he and I got the first Spice Girls tour. And all the agents were in an uproar. And I remember uh, Silliman telling John and I, y'all can't do the Spice Girls. And we went, yes, we can. <laughs> and 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 John basically says I I quit, and then then Silliman just told Meglin he goes oh we'll just get Louis to do it. I go nope <laughs> I'm not doing it you know and so John left and started Concerts West with Paul Gongawera, and I literally happened to be walking in L.A. in Beverly Hills. And I'm walking across the street and I see John and Paul and I've known them forever. I mean, as long as I've been in the business from the original concerts, West. they go, you should come to work with us. I go, y'all can't afford me. So I knew Tim, my wiki through early on days, his brother used to work at the back of the summit with the arrows. And so I knew Tim and I met with him when I left pace, when clear channel, excuse me, or as it was clear channel then. And then of course they they were threatened to be sued for torturous interference and then my wiki said just come back when your deal's done you know and i don't know I, I felt like i needed to have an infrastructure and and the finances to do what i wanted to do um where i knew i could run a small company but not play on the on the scale that i wanted to play so you know um so i went with tim it was you know probably own company and I, I loved him. I mean, he's, he's a, he's a rainmaker, you know, and, and Randy Phillips, who I've known forever, uh, it was just a great match for me. So 
I went into business with them. Okay, subsequent to Nickelback, then what comes? Wow, man! Now you're making uh, you you're making my head spin. Now, um, let me ask a question differently. The acts you have now, yeah, because now you're in the career business. How many other acts did you promote that you no longer promote in your post Clear Channel world? Oh shit! <laughs> all but I promote almost every act. All but to tw- you know. <laughs> all but the 12 acts i have i pretty much promoted everybody's you know that started but anybody that was on the road before the year 2000 i promoted i mean uh, you know i'm talking after that now you're done with clear channel you're in the louis messina business you're in the career business you did work with nickelback they took the big money from live nation did you work with anybody else as a tour promoter who you no longer work with Yes, um, no longer work with the chicks, only the same thing. They were paid a lot of money, and God bless them. They're my dear friends. Uh, McGraw, the only time I worked with him was doing Soul to Soul because he plays the amphitheaters. Um, And that's the only two, the only three acts that I could think of that I had and I don't have anymore. Okay, who's the first act subsequent to the Big Five that you signed that you still work with? Taylor. Okay, so Taylor is opening for George Strait, right? Right. How do you decide that? Well, she George always likes to have a female on his show. Ronnie Millsap was the middle act, and Taylor had a song, Tim McGraw. And, um, we just put her on and simple as that. I mean, the luckiest day of my life when, you know, I heard a song on the radio and I go, what about Taylor Swift? And, um, and George went, yeah, let's do it. So I, we put Taylor on our 18 or 20 shows run and no kidding by the third night i knew this girl was going to be a superstar she was the first one her work ethic was unbelievable by the third song every night she had a george Strait audience in the palm of her hands here is like i have said the story here's a 17 year old girl singing about high school breakups and boyfriends and to a george Strait audience and she had them like i said in her palm of her hands uh the whole time and she was the first one in the production office every morning after she went to radio writing notes to people around the country she was the last one to leave the building every night signing autographs so she was from 17 years old on the, the like i said she just magical that's that's how i met got involved with tail i just saw the magic okay you were convinced how did you convince Taylor and Scott Swift. Well, the good thing, they got to see me and my company work with George Strait. And so on my chaos, which they are used to what most people are used to, they see a nice calm backstage, you know, me walking around with a drink in my hand and, you know, everybody having a good time and everybody's relaxed. And, and I remember Scott Swift would, would 
asked me questions every night. What about this? What about that? How do you do this? How do you do that? You know, and I got to know Taylor um, and uh, and Andrea, I, you know, I just, we just became friends. That's all. And then I, I was such a big believer in her. And, and then I, <laughs> it's so funny. I'm shocked that I have it because then I, I, I convinced Kenny to put a, put her on his tour and um and she was so excited um she said you know the day i told her we're in 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 um fresno in texas uh at the soccer stadium she had opened for kenny that weekend and i negotiated the deal with back then scott borchetta was the manager with scott and to be on the tour and Taylor came up the it's the greatest, happiest day of my life. And then a couple of months before the on sale, we just saw this massive deal with Corona beer. Massive. I mean, uh Buffett had just left and then and and so they called me and said, Who is opening for Kenny? And I said, proudly, I say Taylor Swift. And they go, How old is she? I go, Well, she's gonna be 18 in, in December. <laughs> go well we can't have that and and i tried everything to keep her on that tour and and but didn't work her 18th birthday i was in nashville at her birthday party and she she locked eyes with me soon as she walked in the door and she made her way you know besides saying hello and hugging everybody directly towards me puts her arms around me and goes, Louie, no one's ever broken my heart, but you broke my heart. I go, well, this is the end of my career with Taylor Swift, <laughs> you know, but, um, we had a, n a nice little gift for her. As a matter of fact, and it, it was her lead story in the, in the time magazine, how she, she said that Kenny gave her this big check, you know, um, um, that we all chipped in Kenny and I chipped in together and she goes, you know, and Ken she referred to me as Kenny Chesney's promoter, not who was also my promoter, um, but I wasn't back then. And then she was just blown away. That's all, you know, and, and then when it was time for her to ready to go on tour, they, they, you know, they met with their agent and then the next day they called me, can you come to Nashville? And so I met with Scott, Andrea, uh, Brochetta, business manager, and we had a great meeting. And Andrea says, "Come with me. Uh, hop in a car, go out to their house." Uh, and um, Taylor's at home in her pajamas, and played me the fearless record, and that was it, man. You know, end of story. I mean, it was just magical. It's always been magical, and I'm I'm a lucky guy. So. Ed Sheeran ends up opening for Taylor. You end up becoming his promoter. How did he get on the bill and how did you become the promoter? Well, Taylor picked him out. I'll be honest with you. I never, I, ne I didn't know who Ed Sheeran was. Okay. So, uh, so I, same thing. I saw him the first night because I'm always watching. I'm always out watching the audience and the artist. And so I'm watching Ed Sheeran and place is going crazy. I mean, he was not big in the United States at all. I mean, um, he had the A-team and 
that was sort of a hit over here. And, uh, and I just saw the audience going crazy for him. And he and I just became friends. I mean, he would ride my bus every night, you know, because he had nothing to do. He was my drinking buddy back then. Um, and he did 45 minutes and, Ed, you know, Ed, Ed would play five hours. Um, he, he would play another two hours on my bus every night or three hours. Um, and we just, you know, I just, <laughs> we were in, we were in, um, in Jersey, I think at Prudential and it was rainy and cold outside. And Ed was literally sitting on the sidewalk and I'm on my bus with Sarah Winter, who works with me and, and Haley McAllister. Um, she sees Ed's just sitting on, on, on the sidewalk. And she goes, what are you doing? He goes, I missed my ride. So he's just sitting there by himself in the cold, in the rain, smoking a cigarette come on the bus, have a drink. And Susie walks on the bus. I looked at him and I go, you don't know this yet, but I'm going to be your promoter. And then, and, and Sarah goes, I'm going to, I'm going to market to your whole tour. And then I goes, seriously, you want to take me on? I went, hell yeah. And I'll never forget the next day. Stuart camp goes, I understand that you were talking to my artist. I go, no, that wasn't me. That was Jack Daniels talking to him. You know, <laughs> I would never, you know? <laughs> and so, um, so anyway, we s struck up a conversation, and I'll never forget, Ed and I are talking, and Taylor walks up to the two of us, and he goes, what are y'all doing? I go, oh, I just, you know, BSing, and Taylor looks at Ed, he goes, is Louie trying to hustle you? And, <laughs> and Ed goes, yeah, he is, actually. She goes, well, you should pay attention to him because I've never made so much money in my life, you know, since I've worked with him and, and he's really the best. So you should, you should pay attention to what he has to say. And, you know, that was it. You know, I mean, we're, we're still best of friends to this day. I mean, Ed and I've been together, I don't know, it's like 10, 12 years. Uh, and he's just, he's, he's adorable, man. You know, he's like my son. He's like my best friend. And, I just love him to death. I love his manager. You know, I love his parents. It's just one of those things. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag-A-Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, earlier in her career... Did Live Nation make one of those stupid offers to Taylor or to Ed or any early, late, in the middle? <laughs> yeah, they did. But Taylor always bet on herself. Okay, betting on herself meaning she she's going to con- control her career and not. That's it. Okay, you end up making a deal with Eric Church. Eric Church is Q Prime Nashville, but. It's part of Q Prime in New York with Cliff and Peter, and they really don't like these deals. How did that come about? Um, Eric opened for Kenny in the stadium, and Kenny told me, Louie, you need to get involved with him. This guy's going to be a, a major star. And the same thing, you know, um, I got to know Eric and Catherine, his wife, um, and watching him perform, you know, every weekend. And we just became friends. And, um, and then I met with him and Pete, his manager. And one thing led to the other that that's it, you know, and I said, I want to be a promoter. He had a promoter at the time, but it wasn't live nation. Um, but Live Nation went after him big time. Um, but that's how it went. You know, it's just like he saw the work I did. Eric, I remember one night he told me, he goes, I never thought I'd want to play stadiums, Louie, but what's bigger than stadiums? And I go, we'll figure it out, you know. Um, but, you know, I've been with Eric for 10 plus years, you know. And and trust me, uh, he... <laughs> I almost lost them, you know, because, you know, one company offered this ridiculous amount of money. But after I explained, after I explained to him that he's getting paid with his own money with a really high interest rate. And Eric's a smart guy. So as soon as, as soon as he saw the math of things and he knew the passion I had for him. I mean, and he knew where he went with me and so he stayed with me i thought you know for a minute i thought it was it was a jump ball i mean but it 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 was through our friendship and him knowing how devoted i was to his career and to him as a person 
Now, if you listen to Rapino, he has other revenue streams, sponsorship, etc. And mm-hmm. certainly they're paying more money in certain cases. Aren't there cases where they can just pay more money than you can? Well, they do, but they don't. <laughs> I mean, they do pay more money. They pay, once again, the, the, this fantasy money. You know, non, you know, not just them, but other companies too. Non-recoupable bonuses, bull. Non-recoupable advance, bull. All they're doing is, you know, the, 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 the audits are not sharing in the rebates. They're not as much as the rebates. They'll, they'll sh- be shared in the taste. All of a sudden, your ticket's on TM+, Plus. you know, like half the inventory on TM+. Plus. And you're right. They have so many revenue streams. The amphitheaters, you know, you look at every person that goes in there, uh, besides the, the the cost of the ticket, everybody that's in there, you can, their netting must probably be 60 to $80 a head on people that walk in the amphitheater. So you have 15,000 people times 60 or $80 a head. That's how much money they're making on the amphitheater. So yeah, they have all this monopoly money. Uh, and, and so they're pretending they're giving it to you in advance but they really are, they're just giving you your own money. And autists don't understand that. I lost two autists, um, one stadium autist, um, and because I had a deal, handshake deal, but all of a sudden they came in and go, here's this check. And the autist called and goes, Louis, this is the hardest decision I had to make in my life. And, but I can't, you know, I could, couldn't say no. I go, have you already committed? He goes, yeah, I had to because they made me commit. I go, well, best of luck to you, you know? And, you know, I mean, when someone's given this massive check or, or not at one time, but they're saying, here, we'll guarantee you this, it's hard to say no, unless the artist is smart enough to to peel back the layers. Um, and I just, just now this year, not too many months ago, I had, I had this artist done and we shook hands, everything, and all of a sudden, <clears throat> five million dollars non-recoupable sign-in bonus, you know, versus a ninety-five-five, and you know, and I went, "What the hell are y'all doing?" I mean, why? You know, like you can't make that much money, they're, and they're, they're going to see where half their tickets are going to be on TM Plus, half their, t- you know, it's. And it's just not, it's just not Live Nation. They, and, you know, my partner's AG, they play the same game. But, you know, artists just don't understand where the, there's no such thing as free money. There's no such thing as free money. And that's what artists have to understand. But it's hard when they go, here, here's this money, but you don't have to pay it back. Well, they don't know. I could steal so much money from every artist every night. They wouldn't have a clue. You know, but I don't. And let's assume you did. Where would you steal it? Oh, everywhere. I'm uh, building deals, rebates. I mean, that's where I would, uh, you know, that's where I would get it. Instead of getting X amount for, in rebates, I would give the audits a, a taste and keep the rest. Um, and instead of, you know, giving them discounted rent, I would charge them rack rate on rent and just keep the rest. But that's not how I work. Um, but that, that is how other companies work. I, I know it. 
So do acts ever come to you and you say, no, I don't want to work with you? There's been a few. I, I just didn't want, you know, I didn't have, I have to be passionate about the act. I have to, I have to be passionate about it and they have to be passionate about me too. They have to want to work with me and I have to want to work with them and they have to invite me into their world because if they don't, I, I, I can't do them. I can't think what's inside their heads. I just can't think what's inside. They have to tell me what's inside their heads. If they let me into their world, I'm just going to try to make it bigger for them. That's what I, I try to do. But uh, yes, there's, so there's been acts that are going, well, what do you want to do with me? I go, I don't know. What, let's talk about it. You know, <laughs> I don't know. what. I, you, we, let's talk about, uh, uh, you know, what is your plans? I mean, you've known what you want to do since the first time you picked up a guitar or, you know, played a, one note on a piano or, or sang one note. Um so yeah, I've passed on a bunch of acts. If you want, honestly, probably I passed on two, three acts a year. That I'm, I'm just not. Don't think I, c I can run with it. Okay, you talked about your bus and Ed Sheeran riding in your bus. <laughs> your acts go on the road. How often are you at the show? I am. Um, one year I was on the road like 260 days. Um, most of the time, um, between 100 and 150 days a year, something like that. And you, do you own a jet? I don't own a jet, but I, I, I've got, um, uh, you know, I've got a deal with NetJets. Well, I deal, uh, you know, right. um, a, a, you know, a card, you know, uh, you're on a fractional card. share, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So your acts are on the road. Are you in the bus or are you flying in for the gig? I'm usually flying to the gig. Then I go on the bus. You know, if I'm doing multiple nights, I stay on the bus. I never get, no, I never check into a hotel, you know? So the bus is my home, my office, you know, and that's, that's what I do. Then I'll fly home. Okay. Do you have your own bus like Willie Nelson or you get a new bus when you're on the road? No, I have my own bus. And how is your bus fitted out? It's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, um, you know, it's a double slide out. It's got a uh, front lounge. It's got two bathrooms, um, four bunks and a queen size bed in the back full, full shower. I mean, I never, I've, it's got everything. It's like, you know, everything but room service. And I got room service anyway. Cause I go to the show, I call the runner. I say, go pick me up a hamburger or something. So. And, you know, there's a refrigerator, microwave, oven on my uh, on my bus, so I can cook on my bus, too. So when you're on the road, you're on the bus, how many people are on your bus? Most of the time, it's just me. <laughs> uh, or if someone's riding, you know, I mean, I could have my staff riding with me or somebody needs a rod, you know. Most of the time, it's me. Okay. You talk about eating a hamburger. We're in our 70s now. How is your health and you're eating this road food? Tell me about that. I actually, my health is really good and I'm not, I don't eat that much. It's very rare that I eat catering, you know? Um, and I, I, most of the time I just order out, you know, from a restaurant, you know, if it's, you know, if it's Eddie V's or, you know, um, whatever the good restaurant is, that's close to the venue, you know, I'll just, 
order out and have a good meal. It's very rare. I'm, I'm, you know, schlepping down pizzas at the end of the night, you know, and just eating junk, junk, junk. It's, you know, and then I, I stopped drinking over a year ago. So that's, that's made me a lot better and more coherent. <laughs> so um, my health is great. You know, um, you know, just wear and tear on my body. That's all, you know, knees and back. Okay. The band goes off the stage at 11. They're playing the next night somewhere. What's your routine? Uh, usually routine is um, I'll hang on the bus in the beginning, have the building come up, you know, do a little, you know, song and dance with them. If then it depends on the act, if it's George or Eric or Kenny, I'll go hang out with them for half hour, hour, two hours, and, you know, just shoot the shit and talk about life. Um, that's what I do. And then if we have a show next night, I just go back on my bus, uh, Go to sleep, wake up at the gig the next day, and do it all over again. Okay. Gig's over at 11. What time would you be in your bus? Uh, 11.02. <laughs> and then, I, I, no, then no, I, I, I'll go usually go on my bus and then let the artist, you know, cool off. And, and usually they have their little, you know, their guest. And then, then you know, I'll, I'll go go on their bus or they'll come on my bus and we just hang out if the gig is over at 11 at what point do you put your head on the pillow could be 12 it could be four o'clock in the morning you know inherently on the road it's hard to sleep so how's your situation with sleep i have a comfortable bus i mean uh, it, it's good I don't know, you know, since I stopped drinking uh, before, it wasn't sleeping. It was just passing out. Uh, um, but I sleep good on the bus. I, I love my bus, you know. I mean, it's a queen-size bed. I've got a, tele, you know, huge TV back there. I mean, it's it's definitely home away from home. I, I love it. Well, are you looking forward to getting home to a normal life is, or do you, do you feel like you're burning your candle on both ends on the road or could you stay on the road indefinitely? No, uh, this year I, I picked and choose because I had, you know, Taylor, Ed and straight playing at the same time. So I was only gone, you know, like two days a week because I couldn't go to, cause they all played on Saturday nights, right. you know? And, uh, and so I would go to George one weekend, Taylor one weekend, Ed one weekend. And, you know, that's what I did the whole summer, you know. So this summer, as busy as I was, was probably, was the lightest, the least, I think I, I was under 100 shows this year. Um, because I didn't stay at all seven Taylor Swift shows or six shows. Okay. Do you watch the show? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely watch the show. You know, I mean, do I watch a hundred percent of this show? Not every night, but am I out there? That's where I'm getting my education. And that's where honestly I'm watching the opening acts. I'm watching, uh, and I'm watching the artists. I, I, I mean, I know George's set list by heart, Taylor's set list by heart, Kenny. I'm always, you know, and you know, and I, yeah, that's what I do. I mean, I have nothing else to do. <laughs> I really have nothing to do at a show um, because my job is done. You know, I'm working on next year and the year after. 
and my team, you know, who, because I assign a team to every artist, they're the ones that are, are doing all the work the day of the show. I always say, if I got something to do the day of the show, I didn't do my job. And so I'm there really bored as crap at the show. But the only thing I have is the entertainment. So, which I love because when I walk into a sold out stadium, I'm, I'm a proud papa, man. That, you know, I always say that's my Academy Award. That's my Grammy. When I see, you know, 55, 60,000 people or 15,000 people in an arena, I just, there's no, nothing like, nothing more exciting than seeing that energy in, in a facility. Okay, you go to bed in the bus. What time do you wake up? It could be 8 o'clock in the morning. And now that I don't drink anymore, usually it's 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Before, who knows? And you wake up. What do you do? You immediately jump on the phone? No, you know, most of the time I'm on the, it's the weekend. Yeah, I'm on the phone. Coffee. Building people come on in and out my people on my, in and out my bus all day, you know, for my staff, if it's the building. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm doing phone work. I'm doing, you know, uh, you know, responding to emails and doing all that stuff and just hanging out. But most of my show, you know, most of the time it's the weekend. So there's, you know, it's kind of quiet as far as the business goes. So how many people do work for you? We have total, uh, between here and Nashville, only 45 people. I think it's around 45. And when you talk about your team on the road with the act, are those full-time employees? Yeah. All my employees are full-time. So are they only working on one act or they work on multiple acts? Um, most of them just work on one act. The marketing people use sometimes will work on two or three acts. Um, max. Um, it's very rare that the acts that work on overlap with each other, you know, where Kate, the only two acts she works on is George Strait and Kenny Chesney, Kate McMahon, Sarah went to, she works on Ed Taylor and Lumineers. And that's it. You know, Rachel Powers just works on Eric and blake uh you know and that's how i divide it up i mean and then i have like mike dugan all he he's president of the company but all he does is taylor you know that's his only act rome all he does is kenny chesney so you know i i my road people they're really only really have one or two acts max that they work with and never at the same time Let's say I call you and I say, we're getting on the jet. We're going to this island where there's no cell service, no internet for two weeks. And let's just assume you're enticed by the trip. Can you go for two weeks without being connected to your people? Uh, if Christine allows me to go, yes. I've got a great team. I'm not kidding. I, in, in the, the, what I've done with, with with everyone here, I've empowered everyone to make decisions on their own. They know what's they know the difference between right and wrong. I don't have any gunslingers here. We know they know my model. I know their model. You know, it's like they know the artists, so they can make decisions. I mean, if 
if something really crazy, they would find a way to get to me. But the answer is yes, I could turn, I could, like last week, I, I just, I said, screw it. I'm not, you know, I went to my ranch, uh, my ranch, my place is Dripping Springs and got on my skid steer and I, I pulled up cedar trees for three days because I just had to get away, man. You know, I uh, just, you know, I just, I wanted a mindless job to do. And that's what I did. If you're in town, does it ever shut down or is somebody going to be calling you all night or you're going to pick up the phone? No, I will pick up the call. I mean, I will, um, if I have a show on the road and the phone rings, I'll look and see who's calling. And, but if it's after seven o'clock, I'm not, I'm not picking up the call. I used to, I used to be a phone junkie, but not anymore because it'll be there tomorrow. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So why'd you give up drinking? I just decided, you know, um, it wasn't healthy for my personal relationship uh, with my wife and family and my, you know, I'm getting up in age and I just had a good run with Jack Daniels. I just, I got tired of drinking. Have you quit before? Mm, not seriously, but I was never dependent on a drink, you know? I always say I'm only drinking when I'm drinking, you know, and 
Oh, that's why they call it drinking. Because once I have one, I, the party starts. But if I don't have a, you know, I would go a month, two months without a drink. But the, you know, you know, in my environment, I, I'm usually the first one. I start the party and I end the party. You know, um, but I just, you know, I mean, shit, holding court. I mean, this is gonna be my first Grammys without my first Grammy sober. And you know, the chairman's lounge was. It was that was my roost, man. I ruled that, that that was my lounge, you know? Um, and I did more business in the chairman's lounge than I did. I mean, anywhere around man. just, you know, just holding court. Um, and that's where, so this is gonna be, I don't know. I, I survived the Kenny Chesney, Taylor Swift, Ed Sheeran, George Strait tour without a drink, without a drink. I think I can survive the Grammys. So what have you noticed has been different now since you stopped drinking? I can remember what I said the night before. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> to what degree has this gig affected your personal life? Well, it's tough, man. You know, uh, a lot. I mean, you know, it's just when I'm on the road so much and it's a disconnect between myself and my family. Uh, and that's why I made a commitment that I won't travel as much, but this is after 51 years of, uh, of doing this. So yeah, it's, you know, um, it's affected my life. It's really hard to be married to me or to be a, a child of mine because I'm, uh, I, I'm gone. And I used to be, like I told you, I was the workaholic guy that was nonstop. I mean, the time I woke up in the morning, I mean, you know, cup of coffee in one hand cigarette in the other hand and just jamming 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 and that was all day and all night and i couldn't do it i just didn't want to do it and when I, when christine and i got together was you know it's over 20 years ago i i i even though i mean i would cut the phone off at, at a certain time that's why i started but i still my traveling and it was tough i mean we 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 had a tough time you know um keeping our keeping our relationship together uh and that's why i had to change things and you know that's why i made a life change decision as far as drinking as far as traveling and and just i i just wanted to change and because i love my family and i i love what i do and i want to do this for a long time how many times you've been married and how many kids do you have oh man okay i'll be on four I've been married four times. The third one didn't count though. Um, um, and I have six kids. And what are those kids up to? Let's see. My oldest son, he teaches jujitsu and mixed martial arts in, in, uh, in Katy, Texas. He's got, he owns like four gyms. Lewis Jr. He works here. He oversees, um, Sean Mendez, um, and different other projects. Um, uh, Christopher is on the road. He works with Todd Stewart, who does event staffing and chairs for stadiums. That's what he does. And Barack is in transition right now. He just just finished a course. He's gone into uh, as an analyst. That's what he's trying to get a job as an analyst with with a company. And my oh, oldest daughter's eighteen. She's graduating this year and she'll be going to Sarah Lawrence um, and she's going to study film. And then 
Gabrielle is 14. She's going to be a superstar on the theater one day, and she's a freshman in college, in high school. So what's your philosophy in terms of financially supporting your children? Oh, man, that's a tough I, I don't really, I mean, my sons I don't support. Uh, they're on their own. I mean, Lewis is here. I don't know. That, that's, you know, <laughs> you know, when you're talking about estates and stuff, do you give it? It's so funny when I when I started Pace concerts, I didn't, ha I didn't have two nickels to rub together, right? And I moved to Texas. I mean, didn't have a penny, and everybody else that around me, they were all like trust fund kids, and they all had a head start in life, you know. And I started with negative. I had to pay off my parents' debt. You know, even though I had three other siblings, I'm I'm the one that, that paid off the bills. And I always made a commitment to myself that my kids will never be in that situation where I'm going to always, you know, they're going to get a head start in life. Well, now that I'm here, I mean, now I don't want to like, I don't want to enable them to not be driven. You know, I don't want to be their retirement. Let me say that. But it's a tough one to go. You know, do I give all money to charity? I don't know. You know, um, they're all doing good. So I'm, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not supporting my kids. Let me just say. But anytime they need something, I'm always there for them. <laughs> you talked about working 24-7 earlier in your career. Yeah. If you hadn't worked 24-7, would you be where you are today? Probably not. You know, probably not. I mean, I had a lot of good. Alan Becker taught me a lot about business and life. So I owe, owe him a lot of gratitude. Um, but I was always driven. I was always, always driven. <clears throat> and I, I never, I've never reached my goals in my whole career because whenever I get close to a goal, I always raise the bar. And, and I think that's why the artists I work for are so successful because I keep on t convincing them to raise their bar. And, you know, my line is, tell me your dreams and I'll dream you. Um, and I just want to keep on always never getting to a, a goal because if you reach your goal, where is there to go to? So I keep on moving. I keep on moving the line. Tell me about paying off your parents' debts. Simple as that. I had to pay it off. <laughs> Were your parents still alive at that point? No, no, no. They no, 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 no. I only have one uh, one sister um, that's still alive. Uh, my oldest sister passed. My brother, oldest brother, he's passed away. And both my parents are passed. You know, they're gone and. So, you know, I've got one sister, a lot of nieces and nephews in New Orleans, and, um, and then my family. Okay, so you grow up in New Orleans in the 50s and 60s. They even have a different legal system in Louisiana. <laughs> they didn't have a legal system. And it's not like they had I internet and they don't have cable TV at the time. What was it like growing up in New Orleans, and how was that different from how other people grew up to the degree you know? Well. Let me say this. Um, um, my family integrated the neighborhood where 
we we were the only white family like in a three block radius um in uh or two block radius but growing up I, you know i say i'm just a kid from the streets of new orleans and i i, I really am you know uh it, it new orleans was tough i mean it, it was a tough town i mean it's it, it's a tough town today i hate going back there you know i mean i like going back there if i have a show and I'm just going there, but man, would I have a move back there? No, not a shot. It's it's filthy. It's it's corrupt. It's so corrupt. And doing business there is like, you know, the the big things. Are, Where are you from? Where are you at? You know, I'm going. Oh, please, man. You know, but it was tough. You know, I don't I don't have a lot of great memories from New Orleans. Um, uh, it, it's it's one of those things that there's no looking back there. So you'd say it was tough. Was it personally tough, like you getting beaten up and surviving? Mm. Well, I've had, you know, I, I've given a few black eyes and I've got a few black eyes. And yeah, I mean, it was tough, you know. I mean, uh, my grandfather was an uh, Italian immigrant. My mom and dad hated each other. And it was it was miserable, you know. I mean, I had a terrible childhood, <laughs> You know, um, and, you know, it's just, there's not, there was never fond, fond memories of, uh, of my childhood. You know, <laughs> I, there's a lot of therapy I'm still going to, 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 to work through my, through all my crap, even at my age. So do you go to therapy? Oh, absolutely. So how did you decide to go to therapy? Uh, cause I knew I couldn't handle this by myself you know i mean um <laughs> um I, i've got this thing I, I think richard lewis was the comedian that said this problems sure i've got problems i have fresh problems flowing in every day <laughs> you know and that that's kind of me you know i mean uh you know trying to balance work personal you know and myself it, it's difficult it's being Louis is a hard time. It's a full time job. So, what have you learned in therapy? <sighs> Biggest lesson I've learned in therapy about everything is be true to yourself. Is to don't make any commitments that would you wouldn't make to to yourself. Meaning, like when I stopped drinking. I didn't promise Christine or anybody else I would stop drinking. I promised me to stop drinking. You know, um, when I wanted to do what I'm doing now at Messina Touring, this is what I wanted to do. I made a commitment and I stayed on my path. I didn't try to, I didn't, you know, I'm not still not trying. To, I've got the hottest hand in the business right now, right? I really do. Absolutely. And, I'm not trying to sign every act that that's coming my way. It, you know, it's still my model. Um, it's one act at a time and an act that I have to believe in personally believe in. And, and my team has to believe in it too, because it, it's so funny that, that last week I was, it was, I was in Nashville and I, I cause I was a big Motown fan and I met Barry Gordy, uh, son and i went oh my gosh I, you know he was excited to meet me and i was like 
you know, I grew up and I, I remember reading, uh, I mean, there was this documentary with Barry Gordy and Smokey Robinson, how every week they would, you know, people would bring in their songs in and everyone would have to agree upon the song, you know, and that's kind of how I am around here where my whole team has to agree upon the acts that we work with, where we're just not going, oh, Nickelback's coming back out. I'm going after him. Oh, I'm going after, you know, um, so-and-so. That's not the case. It's got to be like, I'm staying on course. You know, when we believe in something and they believe in me, that's what we, that's what we want to be in business with. So what kind of kid were you growing up? Did you have friends? Were you good at school? Were you good at sports? None of the above? I, I was pretty good at sports and basketball and baseball, and I had tons of friends. I was very mediocre or terrible at school because I, I hardly ever went. Um, and um, and literally, <laughs> Bruce says, I've learned more from a three-minute record than I ever learned in school. And, um, you know, I, I grew up on the streets. I really did. Um, I'm, I'm very, you know, street savvy uh and that's it was tough in new orleans i mean no I, yeah i had tons of friends i had you know and i, I played sports year round uh but then you know i couldn't hit a curveball so that was the end of my baseball career and 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 i could uh, you know and white men can't jump so <laughs> that was the end of my basketball career too so you know New Orleans has its own unique musical sound. Was that something you were aware of and connected to growing up? Yeah, yes and no. I mean, um, of course, I listened to, you know, my dad had a friend, uh, Larry McKinley. He had a radio station. He worked at a radio station, WYLD, and he was a disc jockey. He was also a concert promoter, and he brought in all the R, you know, R&B acts. And so whenever James Brown would come to town, you know, it would be me and my six white friends at a James Brown show. And so, you know, me growing up with, you know, Fats Domino or Ernie Cato or Irma Thomas and, you know, those great New Orleans artists back then. I mean, Dr. John and, you know, that was later on, but I, I grew up listening to music and loved it. And so, uh, you know, we lived downtown. I lived right by the municipal auditorium, uh, right about three blocks from the French Quarter. And uh, Mardi Gras Day, like the Mardi Gras Indians would start right in front of my house. And so it'd be, you know, music was always around. And I always loved music. I mean, when I was seven years, when I was seven years old, I saw Elvis at the municipal auditorium. And that's what got me hooked, man. Okay, you saw Elvis. Other than the acts you've worked with now, what are the two best shows you've ever seen? Oh, man. Uh, I, I can't answer that question, you know? I mean, uh, you're going to, you know. Well, a couple of memorable uh, I, shows. My most memorable show was not even a live show. It was the Monterey Pop Festival, the movie. That was my most memorable show. That show and the Tammy show. Those are the two shows that, man, that blew me away. 
you know, and I remember one year I saw Dick Clark's Cavalcade of Stars in New Orleans. And that also blew me away because everybody was just doing like one hit, you know, they do that house band and everybody doing two, three songs. And, and you know, then it's hard to say. I mean, I get off on every show. I mean, you're going to say like, when I'm at a Taylor show, there's nothing like it. And of course, then I'm at a George Strait show. There's nothing like it. You know, and Kenny's show. I mean, I just love what I do, man. So I can't say this is, you know, this show. Yeah, seeing Elvis made the most, the biggest impression on me um, it, when I was a kid. But I just, I don't know. Everybody, I, I look around my, I look at, you know, pictures on my walls. See, watching the Lumineers grow from where I first got involved with them to where they are today. They're all memorable now when, you know, the first time we played that stadium in, uh, in, in Denver, that was memorable. First time I put George in the stadium in Phoenix back in 96 or so, that was memorable. And, you know, Taylor, I've got a picture, right? I got an autograph. Um, I was up for a promoter of the year or something. She goes, you're my promoter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for believing I could sell out stadiums, you know, and, you know, her playing Foxborough on her first tour, you know, ending the tour at Foxborough, Gillette Stadium and sold out. That was memorable, you know, so it's hard, you know. So how'd you get into this business? Seeing Elvis, you know, in high school, I was promoting local bands, local dances and, uh, and I was on a mission to do exactly what I'm doing today. On a mission. How'd you get into it? Uh, I went to work. At, I knew I wanted to do this. I had no money. had no nothing. I went to work at a radio station, WWOM Radio in New Orleans, also known as Mother Radio, one of the first FM underground uh, radio stations, FM station. And so I took a job there as a salesman um, and I started meeting people there, you know, meeting record reps and stuff. And I finally through uh, this record rep Warner Bros introduced me to Joe Sullivan. He was a promoter out of Nashville. He had a company called sound 70 productions. And, and he came down to New Orleans. We met, he had a run of dates with Curtis Mayfield and BB King. We did the show together. Um, and that's how I really got started, you know, with Joe Sullivan taking a shot with me. And how did you end up putting together Texas jam? Uh, David Krebs was doing the Cal jam and he calls me up and he goes, I want to, what do you think about doing um, a show similar? Is there a speedway in Texas? I go, yeah, there's one in Bryan, Texas. And then I went to the Cal Jam the year before, and it was a, it was a cluster, man. I mean, people were knocking over was, uh, Ontario Speedway. People were knocking over fences and all that stuff. And, and I'll never forget, I, Lone Star Beer had a commercial and it was it was taken at the fairgrounds at where the Cotton Bowl is, and I saw where they had all these rides in the stadium, and I go, screw doing this at a um, at a racetrack. I want to do it at the Cotton Bowl, 
And so I convinced Krebs, and that's when he managed Aerosmith and Ted Nugent, um, instead of playing a, a, a racetrack to go to the Cotton Bowl. And then we used the entire fairgrounds. I mean, it was, we had a skateboard exhibit. We had the <laughs> world's biggest rock and roll uh, movie theater where we were showing concert films all day. Um, we had the rock and roll warehouse where Del Ferrano, he was the our merch guy back then. He brought all his inventory so you could buy almost any t-shirt you wanted there. And we, we would allow people to come in and out of the stadium and we had we had we had we had second stages, third stages. It was quite the event, you know. And um, and that's how this Texas Jam started, you know. Even in New Orleans, I I, I always loved the event. My first concert, stadium concert, was called the Bayou Boogie Festival. Black Oak, Arkansas, was the headliner. I had Peter Frampton. Peter Frampton on the show, Bob Seger on the on the show, Wet Willie on the show, and this is when before Frampton came alive, Seger was just starting out, and that was at City Park Stadium, and yeah, Black Oak, Arkansas, Jim Dandy to the rescue. What was the name of the manager again? Butch Stone. Yeah, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. So, uh, how were the economics at Texas Jim? Um, they were good. I mean, the first year I did, I had the Texas jam one day and Willie's picked the next. I've never made so much money in one day and I never lost so much money in one day, all within a, a 24 hour time period. But overall it was good. I mean, it's not, I mean, I mean, ticket prices were $12, you know, and I finally got up to $20. And I mean, if you look at today's, you know, the, the what the value of today's money, it was totally chump change back then. You know, if I made $100,000 on a sold out 80,000 people, that was a ton of money, you know. And, um, but they were good. I just ran out of talent, you know, and that's what, what happened. It's just, it, it, and I just got in the amphitheater business and you can make more money selling 15,000 tickets than I could sell 80,000 tickets. Why did the 4th of July picnic fail? Not enough people showed up. Oh, really? <laughs> why did, why, you know, that's a legend. I'm not that Texas savvy. And he did it for years. Was that one of the initial ones or are they all challenging? But you know what? The Willie picnics were all challenging. They were all mostly uh, um, artistic successes. You know, then there were financial successes because I did a couple of picnics outside of the Texas jam. It just didn't work. I mean, it just didn't work. That's all. I mean, I had like 30,000 people there and, and, you know, and I had everybody, Willie Whaling, Christopherson. Uh, I don't know. I, I'd go I'll look at the poster outside, but uh, it was uh, the star of stars, you know? So what if one of these festivals, which pay more than anything, calls up and wants one of your acts to headline the festival? What do you say? Um, how much? <laughs> you know, I had George Strait headline ACL Festival maybe four years ago. I was there and watching it, and Casey Musgraves was playing. And I leaned over, and I said, 
we need to have George Strait do this. And, and I told George about it. I'll never forget. I go, George, it'd be a really cool thing for you to do. Now, and George goes, you don't think I'm cool enough now? <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and we took a haircut doing the show. I mean, you know, and, but I thought it was a cool thing for him to do. And he did it. And it was an ACL crowd. It wasn't a typical George Strait crowd. And everybody was singing every word to every song. It was amazing. I mean, just amazing. Charles Atoll says still to this day, you know, probably the best headline he's ever had. Okay. Taylor Swift, they want her to headline Coachella, you say. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> you know, I mean. Well, is there a number where you would say yes? Here's the deal. If Taylor wants to play Coachella, she'll call me up and say, hey, what do you think about playing Coachella? She won't call me, but Robert will call me or Andrea will call me and say, Taylor wants to do some festivals. It, no, there's no, there's no, you have, you have no idea how, what ridiculous offers I get for Taylor and for George and for all my artists, you know, but it's always got to be the right thing, you know. If t if Taylor wants to do a movie, she do a movie. <laughs> you know, if she wants to play festivals, she'll play festivals. It's like, but you're not going to money's not going to drive her to make a decision. Okay, so let's say since you plan so far in advance and you're in the career business, let's say hypothetically Taylor never had another radio hit. How do you, as a promoter? plan for the future um taylor's only gonna get bigger i mean I, even if she never has another hit which is impossible uh because she always outdoes herself musically um I, I just know that where we're at now is not the height of where she's going to be that's all i know Okay, Kenny used to have more radio singles than he does today. Has that affected his business? No, because people are there for for Kenny now. You know, you know, they're there for the show. They know they're getting their money's worth, and we always, like I said, we always load up the show. Um, so, yeah, if he happens to have, I mean, like when American Kids was, you know, number one song, that there's definitely a bump, you know, but. It's not a game changer. Okay. You mentioned David Krebs. We've mentioned some other managers. Let's be specific. John Landau and Springsteen. Okay. Springsteen hadn't toured for years. And that's really Landau's one big act. And therefore, he didn't know, in my viewpoint, the landscape as well as somebody who's in the business every day, whether it be a promoter or a lawyer who's making these deals. How savvy are the managers today? Well, the, the good managers are real savvy, you know? I mean, uh, I'll start with 13 management. It's, there's no one manager because it's all Taylor self-managed. and But there's basically a committee. I mean, Andrea being number two, then Robert, you know? And so they're very savvy. Um, you know, Stuart Kemp, Ed's manager, very savvy. Uh, the Lumineers manager, George really is self-managed, you know, Herb's his manager. They've been together 40 years, but you know, 
um, you know, John Peets is very savvy. He's very creative with, with Eric. Uh, and I, I'm just looking around, um, you know. Okay, let me, you know, these are all acts you work with. Do you yeah. find today's business is so complicated and changing so much that unless you're doing it every day, you don't have a good feel for it? Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think you need to be involved, but it's so, that's a good question. I, I hate when people say it's a good question. Why would you ask a bad question? Um, you know, because I'm not, I'm only focusing on the acts that I'm focusing on. It, it's like, you know, I, so I, I'm not like paying attention and, and going to concerts everywhere or going to clubs and stuff. Like, shit, out of the blue, Zach Bryan popped up. I'm going, what the hell did this come from? You know, I mean, and, but, you know, my younger staff goes, oh, yeah, man, he's amazing, you know? And my daughter, my 14 year old song came on on her playlist i go who is this she goes zach bryan i go holy crap this is really good you know this is like amazing i mean i haven't heard of the guy before um so business savvy i don't know yeah you got to be in the business you got to be in the business but as far as me grinding out the way i used to as far as listening to every new song you know every time a new album anybody would come out i have to put it on and or go to a club and watch them. I don't do that anymore. I go watch opening acts. Okay. In the old days, forget, you know, Frank Barcelona and loyalty. In any event, you worked your way up. No one started at the top. Sam Smith had a hit. First tour was arenas. Okay. Zach Bryan's going to be playing stadium soon, although he paid a few dues along the way. You're in control of one of these acts. What do you say? Go for the money, or is this going to hurt you in the long run? I always say, do what you're supposed to do. The money will always be there. You know, we know. I, I, I try to convince everybody never go for the money to to do the right thing. You know, um, that's what I, you know. Sometimes I'm wrong, uh, but I, I never chase the money. I, I you know, because the money will be there. And if you're deciding where to play, do you say, well, listen, I want to play this building because I'll go clean and it's a good look as opposed to another building, which may not sell out. How important are the optics to you? I think it's, you know, you got to play the right act in the right building for the right ticket price. Um, a lot of times it's a jump ball where if I'm going to get a better deal for the act at somewhere else, then that's, that's where I'm, I'm going to go, you know, and, and, you know, and, but I'm not going to put an act in a stadium unless I believe they could sell it. I'm not going to put an act in an arena unless they think, I think they could sell it out, you know, or come close to it. Um. So it's a matter of knowing who your artist is and um, and what the right steps to take. Sometimes I'm wrong, you know, but most of the times I'm right and they're right. Tell me two mistakes you made in the last year. 
I don't know. Last year was <laughs> it was almost like the perfect storm for me. Okay, then tell, tell me two big mistakes you've made in your career. Man, I've made a lot of mistakes, you know. Um, that's a time I can't, I, you put me on the spot. I, I don't know, you know, I really don't know, don't know uh, what mistakes, I, I what big mistakes. I mean, I never made a mistake that was so, that was so bad that what was I thinking? You know, um, uh, I, I did some, I don't know. I don't, I, I can't answer the question. Sorry. I mean, I don't know. Drink too much. <laughs> What's your philosophy on money? I'll give you an analogy. In the old days, everybody used to pay agents 10%. Now that's negotiable. So you're making a deal with somebody in general. I know you have these acts you work with a long time. To what degree are you firm on the money? What's your negotiating style? Uh, believe in yourself and you'll make more money. Uh, and it's so funny because none of my acts that I work for are charging me guarantees. You know, but they're getting the lion's share of everything where they see every penny. Um, it's not that I won't pay a guarantee. It's just that it, I'll advance artist money, you know, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to, I, I'm not going to, uh, but everyone feel everyone, like I said, bets on themselves and, and they see every dollar that they see that piece of every dollar. And that's, that's my philosophy, you know, transparency. Well, you've been doing this a long time in a lot of different capacities. There's the old line, there are no, no bad shows, only bad deals. Right. So what's your philosophy on deals in general, in terms of your 50-year career? I'm not going to buy my way into a relationship. I, I think it's total BS, you know, when, you know, when you, you, the artists don't even know who they're working for, they just taking the deal. Uh, and then they regret it after, you know. Um, and I, I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna chase an act with money. That won't happen. So that's that's how I operate. I mean, I don't I, I'm in my own lane. I'm not in the AG lane, I'm not in the Live Nation that lane. You know, I don't go after their acts. Uh, and they most of the time they don't go after my acts. Every once in a while, you know one of their promoters uh get greedy and then i have to you know i have to i have to I have to get a little new orleans on them okay the landscape today is totally different as i referenced earlier the acts tend yes. to be built by record companies and radio there's a lot of acts that can tour that are not on the radio don't even have record companies by the same token Record companies, the three majors, have almost an impossible time breaking new acts. So where's it going? Well, there's new acts breaking every day, you know. So maybe the record companies need to get on with the program instead of trying to control their acts, trying to figure out different ways how to promote their acts instead of, you know, the same thing instead of a cookie cutter thing where they find an act, they find a hot act, and then they they go all in for it. 
and you know uh it, but if you don't make the grade out of the box you're not going to get any interest you know um my son's band was signed to a major uh record label right and um they did nothing so i mean you know they did nothing i you know i was out there getting radio stations to come show to come i was getting the tastemakers to come to shows but the band didn't go anywhere you know two albums on a major label i don't think they pay enough attention to the artist um and they're kind of like whatever sticks is who they're going after so i think if they sign less bands and and if they sign a band they need they have to believe they could take it all the way to the top and they need to get involved and not just hiring somebody just and and do generics post you know hi denver how are you you know um from artist x where they they are engaging with the artist audience and not controlling what the audience is have what the artist is having to say I think they just need to be in tune to what's happening. And it's the same way I need to be in tune to what's happening. That's why I have such a young staff and a, I grow my digital department every day. I think that's what record companies need to do or any kind of companies. You got to get to the people. You came up with what would be called a social media post showing a certain amount of savviness. But to what degree do you personally look at social media whether it be Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and to what degree are you personally computer savvy? Um, I'm computer savvy to a certain degree, but I don't live on the computer. You know, I, I'm just doing emails, and that's so why I'll just go to to my team and say, okay. Tell me about the growth of this act. You know, tell me where they were five years ago. Tell me what their socials look like. Tell me what their audience looks like. You know, break down the demographics. And that's that's how I'm computers. I always say, I know where I want to go, but I don't know how to get there. And that's why I have the people that I have working with me. Because I know what, what I want to do, but I'm just not savvy enough to do it. That's why... I hire people that is much smarter than me to get it done instead of do me doing a half-assed job of it. You know, um, I rely upon them to feed me with knowledge. I ask good questions, though. What's more important, data or gut instinct? Combination of both. I mean, data sometimes, you know, you got you have people that have, you know, 10 million followers but can't sell out, you know, my car. And, um, you know, you, you know, sometimes you just have to feel it, you know, you just have to feel it like this is going to happen. Um, and I, I think you need a combination of both. Uh, you need to know, you have to have a feel for, for the audience. You have to have a feel for the music. You have to have a feel for the connection, but you also have to have the savvy to knowing how to get to the audi audience and knowing how to send the right message to the audience and to, and to connect the artist and the audience. And, and sometimes the artists don't even themselves don't have uh, enough belief in themselves where you have to kind of give, you know, you have to, you have to 
give them your enthusiasm. Um, and that's kind of what I do, you know, like I'm a tap dancer, you know, like I, I put, I miss the Bojangles, you know, and, um, just, you gotta have both. You gotta have a great team around you that, that is savvy in every which way, but you gotta have a gut feeling. And I think that's what, what has been the key to my success is that I have a great feeling. I, I could see town. I, you know, I, I feel I could see where there's that connection between the artists and audience that I think that's my biggest gift. And what would you say to young people who wanted to get into this business? Uh, dive in, man, you know, follow your dreams. Um, uh, you know, I do a class every semester at, um, at UT and, and, you know, it's always like 40, 50 students in, in my class. And, uh, it's just, it's called the, you know, the making of a concert where I kind of go through the whole steps from signing the band all the way to, through, through loadout. And I always encourage people to follow their dreams. Um, uh, and I'm not going to say, Oh, you know, it's such a shitty business. It's not a shitty business. It, you know, if you have the drive, I mean, yeah, it was a shitty business when I started because I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I kept on asking why, 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 why do you do this? Why do you do that? And I always say, don't ever take no for an answer on the third though. It's a maybe, you know, just keep on moving forward, keep on moving forward. So yeah, I would encourage people. I, I encourage my kids, you know, to, to go for it you know my daughter wants to go into film i go for it you know my other my 14 year old daughter wanted you know she's got an incredible voice she's got such charisma but i don't think she has the drive but i i encourage her every day and last night at 11 o'clock i heard her playing piano and and so that was pretty cool because that day i go why'd you stop playing piano and she goes, I don't know. And then last night I was in bed and I, I could hear her playing and it was pretty cool. So I, I'm always encouraging people to follow their dreams. So how much longer are you going to do this? You're going to do this till you drop or you're going to retire at some point? Probably do it till I drop. Uh, uh, I, I love what I do. I still love what I do, you know? Um, why would I do, I, I can only pull up so many cedar trees, you know, and, and I really love what I do. And I don't know, I wouldn't know what else to do. I mean, you have to sit at home and, you know, uh, I'm not going to write a book. I'm not going to, you know, I've traveled, <laughs> I've traveled my whole life. And so it's not like I want to travel, <laughs> you know, uh, and, um, uh, I don't know. I guess I'll, I used to say when George retires, I'll retire. When Kenny retires, I'll retire. When Taylor retires, I'll be dead. <laughs> and, uh, and that's basically it, you know I mean? But when I sign a new band and see them go to the top, I, I just love it. When I have George Strait, 30 years is still at the top of it. When we set a 10, we set gross records everywhere we played i mean somebody sent me somewhere all highest gross number one was george Strait. number two was george Strait. number three and four were beyonce and i don't know what publication that was but somebody sent it to me and went holy shit 
And that's pretty cool. And every night, you know, where single night attendance record, Ed was breaking every night. And what Taylor's done is like mind blowing. I, I mean, I'm part of history. I, I'm I'm living in history with Taylor, you know, and shit, after 51 years in the business and still having a hand as hot as I have and still have artists and still have, you know, <laughs> a brain and, and <laughs> I'm pretty lucky. And why would I want to give it up? I don't. Okay, you say you're in the business of making dreams come true. You say to the artist, what is your dream? So, Louie, what is your dream beyond what you've already accomplished? I don't know. Uh, find the next artist, bring them to the stadiums, you know, and just see my team grow, my kids grow up, and but seeing uh, – the younger people, the superstars on my my team grow, you know, like my son, Lewis and Haley McAllister and, you know, uh, Sarah Winter and just see them becoming stars. That's, that's my dream. You know, um, that's what I want to do as far as watching the growth of my family and watching the growth of the individuals here. Uh, that's what I like to do. That's what I want to do. And, you know, and I don't want to, you know, people say, Oh, Louie, if, if you drop dead, you have no company. That's BS. You know, I mean, Taylor, because of Mike Dugan, because of Sarah, because of Haley, you know, Lumineers, because of Haley and my niece Margot, you know, and, and Kenny Chesney is because of Rome and Kate McMahon, you know, it's not, yeah, it's me. I, I am, you know, the song and dance man, but, you know, they're the people, they're the mechanics that just, get the job done but i'm making them song and dance i'm making a lot of them song and dance men too okay louis i want to thank you so much for taking this time to talk and educate my audience <laughs> really been great always hilarious talking to you so insightful thanks so much all right thank you my man bye-bye till next time this is bob left sets This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.